I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. On today's episode, we have this nice Brazilian girl named Cami, but you know her as the Lady Machine, and we'll find out a little bit about her trajectory today. She started off playing parties in Brazil around, I think, 2003, she said, or whatever. And 20 years later, she lives in Berlin and uh, is a resident at the Pornceptual Party here. She's playing all over the world with her DJ sets. As a producer, she's got a bunch of appearances everywhere. Her solo debut solo EP came out on Luke Slater's Motivolver label. It's called Magnify. Check that out. And also more recently, she started her own label called Untervegs with Decca. So if you guys are curious about that, I definitely recommend checking out the music on there. There's uh, stuff from her herself, Amanda Moosey, Decca, Camellia, and Headfront Panel. And as she'll say, there is more coming up. All right, I'm recording all these intros in one go, and I'm losing my mind with it. But we're going to take another shot at this. Uh, a little quick story time. About four or five years ago, I teamed up with Steve and Jasmine over at Intellifunk, and we're like, uh, we should probably put some party together where we book a DJ or two out in the woods and bring our friends and party all night. That worked out pretty well until the pandemic came and uh, shot our plan right in the heart. So we put it on ice and we're like, well, I don't know if it's coming back. Well, guess what? When you have a year and a half of sitting on your ass with nothing to do, you cook up an even crazier plan. And this time we booked like, I don't know, 12 or 15 headliner DJs and a bunch more regional acts. And we decided we'd call it The Great Beyond. The Great Beyond is now in its fourth edition it's like a little camp-out party thing, a couple hours outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I think you should come out. Uh, we specialize in psychedelic house and techno. Um, you know, we try to make it comfortable for everybody. You know, one price gets you in the door. Free parking, free camping, uh, free shuttle for those who don't like to camp that goes out to the nearest hotel and back. And for a little small price, uh, for anybody flying in, we got an airport bus, which will pick you up from the airport, bring you out to the hotel and the festival, and pick your ass up on Monday morning to get you back to wherever you got to go. There's no sponsorships to it. There's no hedge fund investors. In fact, we're funding this out of our own pocket. Uh, we're totally in debt. We're going to die. We're going to lose our house, uh, everything. Little Miles, he's going to have to move to a different part of town because you know we're going to lose everything if you don't buy tickets for this party. Well, it's not that bad, but you need to buy the tickets anyway. Um, so, yeah, you're thinking, yeah, that sounds great. What's the lineup? Well, this year we're talking Alton Boss, BMG, Centrific, Clarissa Kimsky, Daniel Bell, Detroit Techno Militia, DJ Fatty, also known as Ramsey, DJ Hyperactive, myself, GGFM, Lindsey Herbert, Lone Front, Lychee, Jay York, Neil, Overlin, Polygonia, Rue, Rodhod, Sandrian, Sean J. Wright, Steve Rockmod, a.k.a. Sterak, Turnian Sound, and, of course, Wada Igarashi. You know, half of you are going, are you fucking kidding me with that lineup? And then the other half of you are going, I've never heard of any of those people in my life. That's all right. Guess what? You go over to my SoundCloud. I got a little uh, playlist going of all the headliners so you can catch up and figure out if it's your bag or not. Spoiler, it's going to be pretty awesome. If you're into techno, if you're in the house, you got to come and check it out. And you know what? There's more than just the 24 headliners, all right? We got another, you know, two stages with roughly 70 people from 
all over the country. They're doing really cool things. Maybe they're, you know, leaders in their scenes or promoters or upcoming producers and, and local DJs or cool collectives. We try to bring everybody together on those stages and just, you know, make it more of a communal vibe. If you're thinking, all right, listen, I hate festivals. I don't like this big ticket bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Here's the deal. We're not going to bend you over the counter on food. The food prices are fair. Uh, it's like a thousand person capacity, so it's not too big. It's a little dirty. You don't have to worry about acting cool or anything like that, but you also don't have to worry about acting like a fool. Just don't be a prick, you know? Uh, what else can I say aside from that? There's baby goats. Feel like baby goats. You can pet them or take pictures and post them on Instagram. Feel like a hero. Anything like that. Uh, it's a good ass time, man. I think you got to make it out. There's a lot of festivals going on out there and I can't front. Those are all really cool, but there's something unique and special here. Am I biased? Of course I am. Um, but you guys keep demanding it. So we keep doing it. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, Head over to greatbeyond.us, and you can find out more about our lineup. You can find out more about ticket sales, bus times, everything else. If you have any questions, shoot them over to us. We'll answer whatever comes in for questions, except for no, you can't play. The booking's already done. And uh, now you're thinking, listen, uh, that sounds pretty great, but I already spent my money on the Movement Festival in Detroit. I can't argue that's not a bad move either. I've been there, uh, fuck, so many times since it started. I think it's a rite of passage for anybody that is a, you know, considering themselves a techno fan in America or much less anywhere around the world. Anyway, we got you covered. May 24th at Leland City Club in Detroit, alongside Blank Code, we're hosting a little party called Metaphysica. A lot of the same, you know, vibey sort of techno acts that you would expect at the Great Beyond will, uh, you can catch them over there at, at Leland. Uh, I wish I could give you the lineup yet, but we're actually still putting it together. Uh, look for that in probably the next week or two. Uh, so, yeah, if you're going to be coming in on Friday night or thinking about doing it, just come out. It's going to be awesome. It's uh, started a few years ago, and it gets better every year. We keep up in the ante every year, and uh, I really can't wait to see what happens on this edition. All right, I've been speaking enough, and uh, I'm losing my mind in the process, so let's just get on with the show. Have a good one. Okay, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure Absolutely. to be here. Yeah. yeah. For those who don't know, um, we're friends. We've we've had some good nights together. Yes. Some longer ones and some shorter ones. But uh, it's been what? I guess, did we get together more around the pandemic or was it just yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think through... Before or maybe during? I can't yeah. remember. I think yeah. we, did we celebrate Christmas together even maybe? Yes. Oh my yeah. God. Good. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> good, good one. I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. I mean, so it was nice to have you on the show. Um, Let's get right to it. You have an instantly recognizable artist name, The Lady Machine. What's that all about? Oh, my God. That's a funny one. I really like when people actually ask me the question because I never really get asked about it. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because I could never name myself like that ever. It never really ever crossed my mind. Okay. And before when I was teaching, when I was back in Brazil, I used my real name, which is Cami from Camilla. Mm-hmm. And I have this very good friend of mine. He, he possibly is one of the guys that both know about music ever. Like he's like a music encyclopedia guy. And one day he made a drawing of me, which was super sweet. And he signed the lady machine and he said, this is you. And I think this name really resonates with you with the way you DJ. 
and nice. how you play records. And it was, it was like, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago when he did that. And I kept that drawing for years. And many years ago, I, 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 I stopped DJing at the time. I wasn't feeling inspired and I completely dropped out. I went to university and during that time, you know, one day I was just going through my stuff and, and I found it and I was like, okay, this is really, actually really, this is really cute. And I, I felt I was like such a nice uh, story, like uh, about it because it was from the heart, you know? Yeah. So I decided, you know what? I think I'm just going to use that because no one ever understood my name when I DJ. It was like, what's your artist's name? Cami? Oh, Sammy? Tammy? Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, the, phone <laughs> <laughs> the phonetics was never there. And one day I was like, okay, if I'm going to start DJing, like, you know, come back, like I'm going to come back and I'm going to use that name. I'm just going to make it work. And that's how we went, basically. Um, yeah, that's it. This nice. is where the lady machine is. <laughs> I get it, you know, because it's like there's times I'm sure you've been in the same position where you're out at a club and you meet someone mm -hmm. and they introduce themselves and they're like, I make music as so-and-so. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I don't know what the fuck this person just yeah. said. Uh, <laughs> and it's like partly the foreign accent, partly mm -hmm. it's just a weird name. But more importantly, it's because it's a made-up name. And you're like, I, I don't know. And then you're going through promos or MP3s a month later. And you're like, it dawns. You're like, oh wait, was that the person I was talking to? I play a lot of their music. Why, you know, how am I just recognizing this now? Yeah. So I guess it's important to have a name that actually rolls off the tongue. Absolutely. You know, and it's a funny one because everybody says, "What's your artist's name?" At first, I'm always like, I have this kind of like concern of saying because it's such a <laughs> it's, it's it's such a striking name that maybe someone be like, sure. "Ooh, okay, the lady machine." But also they're like, "Okay, I won't forget that." Yeah, yeah, that's what you I'm know? saying. It's it's totally recognizable. Yeah. So I, I have works a friend, both ways. I yeah. won't mention who it was, but he <laughs> he had an alias and I didn't think it was like all that um obtuse or whatever it is like oh man it just doesn't work and i think that's why i don't get booked and i'm like ah, mm -hmm. oh, you're crazy and in his case i still think that's the case but mm -hmm. i think there are some people where i'm like listen nobody's going to be booking you on a name that they can't pronounce really you know it's that's it's hard tough. yeah yeah definitely like yeah but uh anyway at the time when you were just getting going with djing mm -hmm. did did it already seem like a, a lifelong goal or was it just something to do for fun or how did that go I mean, it was actually like how it all started. I was a party goer, like I was going out to parties and I think I was just so obsessed with, with music that at the time my friends were like, look, you are there all the time. You are just like, I, I actually, I learned how to, to DJ myself. Like I had no idea. I'm not classically trained or anything, you know? So I think my friends were just really motivating me to to go ahead with it. And at the at the at first, I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna give it a go. Like, and why not? You know. Yeah. And, and then that was it. And then I think things just start to happen very quickly, because once I set my mind to do something, then I'm I'm committed. I'm fully committed. And then I I just I just told myself, okay, if I'm gonna buy two turntables like to learn how to mix then I'm really gonna learn how to mix and that I want that to be very quick and mm -hmm. I got it like I don't know in, in six months I was like playing clubs already like really so, so you did go out and buy the turntables and everything yeah yeah because I, I remember like it. when we were in America mm -hmm. little teenage ravers we'd always there'd be like one or two people ahead of turntables and you'd have to like can we come over to your house and, and yeah tag yeah I eventually got some and ended up 
I was the guy that would. Br- it was a nice move to have the turntables because if you brought him the house party, you got to choose when you got to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, didn't yeah. have to wait till like six a.m. anymore. I was like, I'm playing at fucking one a.m. or whatever because yeah. they're my turntables. Because you're doing your thing, right? And also, I think for me at the time, I was too shy to to try to mix on someone's setup. That's true. Yeah, you know, I was kind of like, oh no, like you know, I'm I'm not I'm not like I don't want to try. I was too scared and. And I had this friend of mine, all he said to me, I, I can't ever forget that. He says, all you have to do is count till eight. And I was like, okay, I have no idea what you're telling me, mm-hmm. but I've been listening to mixes for years now. I kind of, I have an idea, sort of, mm-hmm. I could maybe picture it. And then I just, I just learned how to mix like self-taught myself. And I, when I, I always get like a bit like in panic when someone says, I'd love you to teach me how to DJ or do a masterclass because I know the way that I've learned it's not going to be like, a, you know, like a, maybe the way people would teach on sure, like, yeah. you know, a school or something. And it's very personal. So I'm always a bit concerned of accepting anything like that, really. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And then at what point did it actually seem viable as a career option? I think it was after maybe like a year and a half. Oh, wow. I, that yeah, quick, huh? Yeah. I mean, I was like, it was so weird because I was like 20, right? I was super young. And I can, I can never forget that, that I, was, I used to work in shops. So all my money was like, okay, buy turntables. And then I had five records. I had to learn how to mix with these five records for like two months, right? That's it. There's nothing else. So, and then at one point, I think I became a resident from the main club in Rio. And I remember when I got paid, I can, I can never forget that. I couldn't mm. believe I got paid for doing yeah. that. It was something that I was just, it blew my mind. <laughs> like It was like, I probably got paid like 10 euros for my DJ set or something like, and I was like, okay, this is, this is insane. If I can make a living out of doing this, cause it's something that I, I, I really love doing. Yeah. And it, I think things just, just unfolded very quickly. And when wow. I saw I was already in it, I didn't really think too much. I was just like living it, you know? Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And that was around 20? Yeah, I was like yeah. 21 and like resident of the main club in, in Rio, you know? Wow. When I was 20, it, it just seemed so unattainable. Like I'm from the Midwest. When you're 20, mm-hmm. your dreams are more like, uh, I got to get some guns and a jet ski yeah. or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's different there in the well, woods. I can imagine, yeah. But um, so, you know, you started in Rio. I This was roughly... 15, 20 years ago, something like that? 2000, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I started going to Central and South America around mm-hmm. 2002 or 2003. Pretty steady in those days. Yeah, it was really good around that, yeah, that, and, that area. Yeah. I mean, is like, wow. was there somebody locally that really got you going where you're like, this is why I became the party person? Like, who was the, the badass at that point? There is a DJ. His name is Mauricio Lopez, and he's just... I think he, he still, for me, is one of the best DJs I've ever seen because he was the first guy that I've seen playing a long set because those times he used to have this night called Oops and he was the only DJ, so he used to play from 12 to 8 and he was the first guy that I ever saw playing house, techno and electro all together in one set and he was just so technically so amazing, like mixing and like selection wise. And I think I was just really lucky that I just landed on exactly what I, I loved it because I think a mm-hmm. lot of people, they transition for a lot of different stages. Like, I don't know, maybe they start listening to trance or to, you know, like uh, drum and bass and then they shift like their styles. Yeah. But for me, it was just like, boom, there you go. I, I just 
ended up being uh, at the right place at the right time. Um, and I think just, it just, yeah, everything just followed through and, and he was like a main inspiration for me. Like really, really then, incredible DJ. So, you know, for international acts that were coming in or, or maybe even within South America and whatnot, mm -hmm. what were some of the names that were coming at that point that were, you know, blowing you away or you really taking to? Well, at those times, ooh, I guess Adam Bayer was like yeah, top he was notch, right? Then. He was the shit. Yeah. Kind of when I committed to techno <laughs> yeah. full time, the Swedish oh thing God. was in full, full it throttle. It was just crazy. I remember when Adam and Carrie, they went to Rio. I think it was around that time as well. And they both played at the night there. And then the day after they were playing in Sao Paulo and I was not supposed to go, but after I saw them playing, I said, fuck it. I'm just, I'm going. I just like me and my friend, we drove five hours to Sao Paulo just to see them playing again. Like it was, I was just so blown away. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It was also the same in America. Like, you know, you really had to, uh, you had to drive big distances to see some of these people because mm -hmm. they didn't get around all the time. Of and course. I guess there was a little bit of that down there. I yeah. heard from some people that that was happening. Absolutely. Um, the other part of it is, is like, so I know that there was a thing, it, it was really popping down there for a while. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough that they got me to play and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, hang on one second. But you, you were already DJing as well around that time. Yeah, I started in 98. Yes. And then uh, started doing the international thing, I think, around 2002, mm -hmm. three, something right mm -hmm. on the cusp of that. But um, when I was going to South America, uh, obviously there was still, everybody was on turntables. But mm -hmm. as they were explaining to me, uh, it was really hard to get a hold of techno records, um, mainly because it was so far away, but also yeah. the import taxes it were really heavy. Crazy. I think at that time it was like, Maybe the equivalent of 15 euros or dollars per record. Does it that sound insane. accurate? In Brazil, it was 60% on top of it. Wow. It's just mad. It was, I spent all my money. How, how, how did how'd you get it done? Yeah. I don't know. Like all my money, like I said, I was spending on records and then that. I just didn't really like have anything else, you know? Okay. Interesting. And I was fully committed. Like I said, okay, now that I am with this, I'm, I'm going to go through it. You know, it was really hard. It was not yeah. easy, you know? I, I actually just on Instagram the other day in a store, I posted mm -hmm. my first uh, eviction notice because, <laughs> you know, the money we were spending shit on records and stuff back then and not necessarily Crazy. rents. Um, but like, so those those records were coming up, but did you find like, were you actually getting things on time or were you just, were you just getting records and realizing they had been out two years ago or whatever? Like, how, how, do you know how that worked? No, not, not really because I could still get them and they would arrive maybe like in three, four weeks time. Mm -hmm. Like there was some shops in the US that I used to buy records from at the time. Remind me. Do you me. remember? Do you know oh, Sonic Groove, I think. But Sonic there was, there was York, one, another one. Satellite. Satellite. Oh yeah. my God. I bought a lot of records from Satellite. Yeah, yeah me too, oh. actually. I, bought, I, I got tons. It's kind of fun to go through the old yeah. records and still see the stickers yeah, on the sleeves. Yeah, yeah. There was that. There was Groove Tech. Those were kind of the big American shops. Because um, that was easier for me to get hold of from than coming from Europe. Yeah. Well, actually, and yeah. then that was the case for me. And then eventually Juno uh, started delivering records. Yeah to the States quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I want to say my first year of college when I was in upper Michigan, by that point, it was really wild because Juno would, they had something mm -hmm. with the shipping where I could order three or four records, which isn't much from around the world. And it actually showed up on my doorstep in like two, maybe three days max Amazing. halfway around the world. Yeah. And it was maybe a five 
dollar difference compared to what I pay elsewhere. Those were different days for shipping, different days. for sure. Still yeah. dialed internet for me at those times, you know. I used to spend. So you're doing it all on dial. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I used to spend the whole night awake, like searching for music online, like because that was obviously easier to to be online yeah. for me. Actually, so, that's yeah. true. I, I had dial up at that yeah. point. I mean, I don't even remember when I had my first cable internet. I know. I I access. can't even remember as well. When was that? I don't know, man. I mean, we lived up yeah. in the sticks, so we were kind of behind. <laughs> you know, New York or whatever, but I, I don't even know if, I think I graduated maybe already, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, man, I, I totally forgot about Crazy. that part of it. I know. It's actually, now that I'm trying to, to get my memory just to like, to go back, yeah. I'm like, fuck, I used to spend all my nights awake, like with dialed internet. I'd have to, I'd have to call and ask my parents because yeah. they'd be like, they'll know when their phone line was actually, someone could call the house for the uh-huh. first time in <laughs> eight years or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's like, get off the phone. Yeah, my dad's like, oh, that fucking phone line is always, you know, but hey, here I am now yeah. in Berlin with half of a career, exactly. so it's all right, you know? It's like, see, I, you see, there was, a, there was a point for that. like Exactly. <laughs> One thing I noticed, though, is um, when I started going there mm-hmm. in the mid-aughts, you know, like 2005 to mm-hmm. eight. It was a weird time, depending on which country. First of all, like reggaeton was really picking up big time, especially in Brazil, I guess. Um, But minimal was also blowing up everywhere. And uh, I I was just thinking about it when I was trying Mm -hmm. to come up with shit to talk about here. And it really is kind of interesting because that was an interesting period where for the first time, a lot of people had internet access, not just rich people. Yeah. And also that was the advent of Beatport and all this digital stuff. Thoughts would come up, yeah. So, you know, overnight, I mean, Marco Corolla was already big, but he was like the king of Colombia yeah. and all that shit for a minute. And um, I think that was like a really influential period where things just opened way up because the access was instantly available. They didn't have to spend so much on records and anybody could be a DJ. Exactly. So you you agree with that? switch, yeah. Were you still living in Brazil at that point? Yeah, I was still like, and I think it was around, I think in Brazil it also happened very simultaneously around 2005 and 2006. Things just start to really switch and really change and also like, Playing records there, like, it was already hard. Yeah. And then it became harder and harder. And I think at the time, you know, a lot of the techno DJs that were, like, they quite had a big profile, like DJ Murphy and Pet Duo, they already, they had left. So it was kind of like, okay, everybody's leaving. Okay, people are abandoning the boat because suddenly there was this amazing, like, like, you know, techno like scene in, in in brazil like especially in sao paulo was really really good and i still i i get i get i say this to everyone i'm still to see something like that and i haven't like nights it hasn't i heard really me. amazing things yeah it was really amazing amazing times you know i was man i played everywhere in in the, the latin americas i'm really fortunate but i actually didn't go to brazil for my first time until like 2016 or whatever so i totally missed out on that period but everybody i talked to they're like man brazil's really going off yeah. if you ever get a chance it was crazy times yeah really uh have you been there to play in recent years since the pandemic or anything or i actually played there last year after 10 years wow I don't know, bizarre in a way, but it also is. nice. But at the same time, I played with Amanda Musi. Like we did yeah. like a back-to-back because I have this 
really cute story with Amanda, actually, because um, she used to come to the parties when I used to play, but she was not a DJ at the time. She was just party goer. Yeah. And we just lost contact for quite a lot of years. And one day she found me online and she was like, hey, where have you been? And I was like, whoa, this is you? Like, And uh -huh. we were like, what the actual fuck, you know? And then we reconnected, which was super cute. And then I ended up uh, playing that gig with her last year, which was really lovely. It was at a party called Tansa, which is a very nice party. But I don't think they do it very regularly. It's maybe like once a year, twice. I, I don't know the how often and the pace they've been doing it. And it was really good. The setup for the records was proper, which I was like, whoa, amazing. Because it's also something hard to deal these days. You know? I was going to bring that up in a little while, yeah. but... And then that's cool. And so it was a good sort of welcome home yeah. type thing. It was really nice. It was nice to be back. Um, I would love to go back and play every year, but I don't really think there's a lot of it's tough. room also for techno there at the moment. There are a few parties, but they're very sporadically. What, yeah. what, what do you think is going on musically there at the moment? I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm planning on going there in March for holiday. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to kind of like, just like scout a bit and see. But I think there's a lot of parties that they're a little bit more oriented on like house music is always been very strong, mm -hmm. but like techno, techno as as techno as we think techno is, yeah. is is almost unexistent there, I think. Yeah, really. Yeah, I've noticed that a little bit. Or like, yeah. you know, definitely more like on the big room tip that yeah, you can hear for sure. in every country or big city. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, but I, I want to know when you came over the seas to, to Europe, mm -hmm. before that, you know, we're talking about Brazil still back then. What kind of music like obviously you're playing techno but mm -hmm. what kind of records were you playing back then oh my god like around like the 2000 sort of area yeah. i think it was all that kind of like the loopies or like drum code like yeah. that was really kicking off all the that surgeon records they were oh, like oh, yeah. yeah also like it was like a mixture of everything there were a lot of good records from terence fixmer at that time as totally. well they were, it was just like the output of good music was just insane. Like there was so, so much happening. Um, so, so yeah, so there was like a lot of stuff coming out on records as well at that time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. I mean, there's mm -hmm. always different little microcosms of, well, every genre, but in this case, mm -hmm. techno that are coming out. But back then it was really interesting because like we were saying, yeah, the Swedish guys were on fire at that point. Mm -hmm. But then you also did have the Birmingham people like Surgeon Regis, all that, who were putting out music regularly, which was awesome. Yeah. That's when British Mother Boys came on was around that time. Exactly. Well, so. And even by that point, um, mm -hmm. you know, you had your Perlon and Ricardo Villalobos for people that were going. So, like, there was a lot of different things and they all kind of were able to exist on their own. Yeah. Whereas these days, I feel like... That happens, but to a lesser extent. Like everybody kind of jumps on one bandwagon and rinses it. Yeah. Which I get. I mean, I've been, you know, young and impressionable as yeah. well. But um, it's just kind of a shame because it's like there's so much cool music out there. Like why do you want to only buy one kind of techno? I, I personally I go nuts. Um, I don't. I don't get it myself as well. Like I. I just wish we we could expand on that. You know. Totally. Instead of just like okay, let's just do everybody the same thing. <laughs> like, you know? Exactly. It's but that's a whole other podcast in its yeah. own right. <laughs> yeah. So when did you make your way over to Europe, and that, why? Uh, I think that was around two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Okay. So I think it was basically by that time. 
if I wanted to continue doing this in Brazil, which was making a living of the, of DJing, it was impossible. It, I would have to get a nine to five job for sure. Yeah. And I was on this kind of like crucial point of my life. I was kind of, okay, I've been playing for almost 10 years now as well. I've never been to university. I've never really invested any time on in anything else other than this. So I was questioning myself a lot. And then I moved to Europe to, I've, initially I went to do like this short production course at SAE, which after six months I said, you bullshit, I, I, this means nothing. I just really need to dig harder. Okay. Cause and I, where was this taking place? This was when I moved to Amsterdam. Okay. Initially I went to Amsterdam. So from that, I, I knew myself, I was like, okay, I know what I want to do and the stuff that I really want to learn, I need to dig harder, you know. From that point, I knew I want to have hardware. I know what triggers me and I, you know, what drives me. So I need to invest my time with that. And also at those times, I don't know, like I said, it was a very weird period for techno. There were not a lot of gigs. No. I think we were all very scarce because minimal was, took over and it was so big. In Brazil, it was completely dead, like like nothing. In Europe, you could still gig around, but even like, you know, for people like Ben Sims at the time, it was hard. It was- Big time, yeah. You know, it was it was tough. It I was thought tough it was times. over for me. Yeah. You know, I, I was lucky enough to, to tour all over and yeah. then I really feel like, I don't know, 2000, middle of 2006, really it, it dropped overnight. And then I felt like it was over until around over, yeah. 2008 or nine. And yeah. then it really picked up again, but- yeah. I was living in the States and I I wasn't going back to Europe at all anymore. And I was like, okay, it's a fucking pipe dream for me to think that I'm going to yeah. go back to Europe and play. And when did you make the move? 2011, okay. September. So, okay. I mean, it's I'm going on my 13th year wow. now. I thought I was coming for a year, you know, and I've made it. So, like, obviously I was wrong. It worked out. But, yeah, so there, there are peaks and valleys. I was talking to somebody the other day and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, do you think those legends have stories i'm like listen you can't do things for 20 30 years and not have some sort of down peak yeah. uh, point or a plateau or whatever of course and you're right in that period it was weird um you know it was it was already weird up with september 11th in america and especially oh, with yeah. record sales that tanked things a lot and the minimal stuff kind of saved it but it was also kind of weird too because that was when really this superstar DJ thing, I think, started to percolate over into yeah. the underground world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? When it's when things really shift, I think. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's this video I saw, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, years ago. It's still on YouTube mm -hmm. of, like, Fuse in Belgium. They did this beach party or whatever, like a daytime beach thing. Beach party. Well, I don't know if, like, I think they called it that, but uh -huh. it was an outdoor summer thing. Uh -huh. And, it, you know, it's cool. It's worth checking out. You got, like, Luke Slater and Peter Dundov and all these people That's playing cool. records. But if you look at it, it's just so... I mean, it's pro, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking shit, but mm -hmm. compared to today's standards, everything's chill. Yeah. People are wearing like the 20 euro shirts from the mall. It's like, fashion has always been important. Don't let yes. anybody tell you different, but it like, you didn't have to buy your way into something expensive no. and exclusive. You're like, oh, that shirt's funny, or look, it's an Atari logo or whatever, raver mm -hmm. shit, you know? And uh, it was just fascinating to see that because just four years later, next thing you know, like, you got these suave guys with like the V-necks and the fucking three days unshaven face and all that. And like uh, Von Dutch trucker yeah. hats oh and Oh my shit. God, you know, I forgot about that fashion. Like. Yeah, all that shit. And then like, but that was the new costume. Like you go to the party and like oh dudes God, got the yeah. little scarves and stuff. And like, I mean, if, if that was yeah. you, I'm not throwing shape. But like it, all of a sudden fashion became a thing. 
professional, really professional photos. Like we used to be on the flyers, you'd see a it's a picture of them yeah. sitting in their bedroom or yeah. some <laughs> shit, you know. And now it's like you gotta you're gonna spend six hundred euros to get a decent photo shoot, probably you know something like that. So things really Not changed cool. around that point. I don't even remember what the fuck we were talking about, but it, it was interesting to see where that went. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's 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 relevant that we be talking about that stuff because it's just like timeline wise, it's 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 crazy to think how much has happened since Big those time. times. You know? You know? And yeah. I I think I mean obviously that's going to be a part of it, but I can also see things going maybe. A little bit backwards too, you know, a lot of clubs closed during the pandemic and mm -hmm. there are new things that will pop up because that's just how life works. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, because it used to be whether it didn't matter if you were a DJ or a band or something, mm -hmm. there it was a network and everybody helped each other out and you'd be like, Absolutely. oh, you're going to be in Germany. Yeah, I got this guy, you know, yeah. you can go play at this party. It's a four hour train ride and he'll give you a 300 euros or something. Absolutely. And like, I think there's going to have to be a little bit more of that going forward yeah. because... A lot of times clubs are not going to take a chance on you unless they know that they're going to pack up the doors because it's, it's just so much more riskier now. You it's, know what I mean? It's completely, it's such a switch up now, like it's crazy. But so, you know, you, you moved over here and then you, you did SAE. Mm -hmm. Why did you drop out? You didn't like the technical part or you thought it was bullshit or? It was, it was, I think it was just like everything. I, I'm kind of this kind of person that I just, I just. I just keep going with whatever's going around me. You know, I'm just yeah. kind of like, okay, let's just keep going with what's happening there. So at the time, uh, my agent decided he didn't want to be an agent anymore, mm -hmm. which was also something that for me, I was like, at the time he was managing Rico and Exhum and that's when they left for Paul Group. So I think there was like a big thing for him. So he was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to go work with Carl Cox in Ibiza. I was like, just go, be happy, do whatever you need to do. And I think that that was like kind of the turning point for me where I thought, okay, techno is really not in a very inspiring state for me right now. I've been doing this for pretty much 10 years or longer. I've been in this. What comes next? You know, I, I, I questioned myself a lot at the, those times. And I think I did the right decision to just drop it like because I think I remember a lot of the t a lot of people at the time like Ben Long is a good friend he was always are you sure you have everything run you've got you've got everything going and I said no I'm, I'm not feeling it you know I'm just I don't know it's just that's not there for me yeah. so other than that I might as well just get a nine to five job it's going to be the same thing so I just decided to drop out and then I ended up joining university I moved to England and then I was there for five years Okay. And during the time that I was there, I played a couple of gigs, not too many. Like I, I, I ended up playing a Trezor like once during those five years. I ended up playing a few gigs in the UK because I was there, which was nice. But I was just kind of like, okay, if I have to be at university at 9 a.m. in the morning on a Monday, I can't be gigging every weekend, right? Because that's no. not going to work. Plus, I'm an overseas student, which means I have to pay a huge amount of money to study. So I can't fuck this up. And that was like a huge thing for me because I think when I used to go to class with people, obviously I was older at the time than the majority of people that were in my class. Like, let's say like I was like 10 years older or more. So I didn't think they knew the value of the, what they were doing because of course, like the government were paying for their education. And for me, it was a completely different way. So I, I told myself, this is it. You, you're only going to get this opportunity now and once. So you, I have to do it. 
and that was it. Uh, I did it. And a lot of them, they never turned up to the classes, which I was always like shocked. Um, but in the end, it was rewarding for me, like, because I got a lot of good stuff out of it. Um, yeah, it was a, it was, it was a hard period because I also had to go through my development of how I want to make music or how I wanted to produce. So it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of tears, a lot of anger, a lot of love, a lot of everything, you know, and I still have it, you know, and I still think I'm learning every day. Like, so we all know that how it goes. Totally. You know, and you know, you meet some of these people who really think they're God's gift to production and they know it yeah. all. And I'm like, my God, no. you just roll your eyes. Cause you're <laughs> no. like, dude, I, you know, I've, I've put, I've wasted I'm 26 years of my life on production now and I'm still learning shit. Like, oh, I mean, I've used compressors my whole life as a career as a producer, but mm -hmm. I feel like only the last three years I fully understand the, the compressor. It's you know? funny because, you know, there was actually this question once in class. I think our teacher, he was like, because we were like, what is actually compression? And I think we all ended up in like a very like, like a a very deep conversation because no one actually were like, okay, do we get it? Do we, do we actually get it? Or we don't get it. Like, It's hard. Yeah. It totally is. Yeah. And then once, it, like they say with everything, once it clicks, you're yeah. like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you learn that certain compressors do different things. Yeah. There's different ways. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Now my brain's melting yeah. again. So. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, okay. <laughs> when you think you got it, it was like, okay, I'm going to hit you up with something else. Like, totally. Yeah. So what, when did you end up in Berlin from, from what is it, London or just somewhere in England? I was in Bristol. Okay. So by that point, I think it was Brexit was to, when, when the, the referendum was on the 2016, right? I think. Oh, you're asking the wrong I'm trying person. To, I'm trying to remember because I remember I woke up at 7 a.m. and I turned the television on and it was voted out and I was shocked because mm -hmm. I was—I I don't think anyone was expecting that. Hell no, no. And I remember arriving at university and the vibe that day in England, it was like, I don't know, like the vibe at university was like really weird. I think people were really, was heavy. And I think that day I made a decision to myself and I said, I'm graduating in a year and I'm going to leave in a year's time because this boat is going to sink and I don't want to be here. And it was weird because when I graduated, I still thought, okay, I'll, maybe I would like to give a go and stay here because by that point, I was too deep into what I was doing there. I was really enjoying and I did some work there as a mentor as well, which was nice. And then I started to apply to some teaching jobs. And I think one of the teaching jobs, which was a nice, a nice teaching job, when I got to the end of the... Oh, sorry, the it's competition, right. whatever you call it. Like, um, they didn't give the job to me because I was not a classically trained musician. That was the basis of it. It's so weird. And they gave it to someone else, which I was, I was just like disheartened, of course. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think this is a sign that I'm going to leave. And I thought, you know what? And then I, I started to see the things really popping up with techno again. And I was like, let me check it out. And I was like, okay, this is you know, things were happening and like music was inspiring again. And then I ended up coming to Berlin one weekend and it was that weekend I was like, okay, I always wanted to move to Berlin, but it was never on my schedule. Somehow it never happened for me. Yeah, This is my time now. I'm going to go. Boom. And then I did it. 
right place, right time. Must yeah. have been a hell of a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just it just was just like that. I said, I'm leaving. Fuck it. I'm not gonna stay in this place because the boat's gonna sink. So yeah, and I'm glad I did it. <laughs> so I mean, you know, the the thing about the classically trained, I'm sure a lot of people that not even in the music world, but the office world, mm-hmm. the HR will shut down yeah. so many people for job opportunities because yeah. they don't have the right certification or yeah. training, which means fuck all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And really, like I, I brought it up on the show before, you know, I've, I've researched this a lot. Like mm-hmm. what the hell does classically trained yeah. even mean anyway? And there's a lot of people that have oh. different opinions on what it means. So essentially it means nothing, but everybody can agree on that. It means that you've actually learned to perform and read sheet music and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody, especially DJs and stuff, they love to toss around, oh, I'm mm-hmm. classically trained. It's like, yeah. oh, so you had schooling you, you took it in school well, like that doesn't mean anything yeah. and like i've heard your tracks i like, know <laughs> you know three chords <laughs> it's like techno you know like what, what are you actually gonna do with all that with actually yeah, yeah. you just gotta know if something's in key yeah. or not which most people can tell with their brain yeah. you know like you can kind of say it's right you yeah. know when, when it's it feels when it's right when it feels weird you know there's something all right with me yeah. it's always there's something all right and i'm like Oh, maybe I have to equip. No, I just have to tune it. Like, you know, it's, exactly. it's something that happens quite a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, at that point you moved to Berlin and mm-hmm. then did you kind of start DJing right away or what, what happened there? It was actually right away. Uh, I think when I moved, uh, I, a friend of mine, she introduced me to, uh, to the Ponceptu uh, crew. Mm-hmm. And I think was just like, maybe like the same weekend or so, or so, like I met them and then uh, she said, you have to play at Ponceptu. I'm going to hook you up with, with Raquel. And then she sent all my stuff to Raquel. Raquel was like, okay, she's, she seems really great. I want her to play. And then I just start to play at Ponceptu. And then, you know, like I was playing a Trezor again. And then suddenly things just start to pick up very quickly. Like obviously, because maybe because I already had a profile before, so that helped. It was not like I was coming from nowhere, even though I think a lot of people, they never saw me, they, they mm-hmm. never heard of me, which is completely natural. But that really, I think that helped because I knew people around, you know, yeah. so. There's something to be said for like when you can really get um, a, a solid handful of dates going in your city because you got to build momentum. Yeah. I've noticed that even in Berlin, like if I... If I do like four or five dates a year minimum or something, like you really start to build up more of a fan base. And then if you kind of disappear for a while, you know, you lose momentum. Absolutely. You know, like I used to go to, let's say, Switzerland or even France. I used to go there all the time. Haven't been there a whole lot since the pandemic. And you got to restart. You know what I mean? France is a bit, there's not a lot going on at the minute. No, there isn't. So I'm not too worried, but like, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, it's just like, it, it's kind of impressive, like how quickly things can change for better or worse, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So when I tell people like, especially people who are aspiring, I'm like, just get on the road or take anything in town. Like, yeah. even if the pay is shit, you gotta, you gotta get into people's eardrums somehow or be on the, on people's minds. You know yeah. what I mean? Whether it's playing in a bar or yeah. something stupid, that goes a long yeah. way. You have to be prepared for it. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that a lot of people, they're not prepared for. Yeah. And it's a long road, you know? So people who aren't familiar with you, um, you're a resident at Portinceptual, right? Officially. Yes. yes. And that's a party that takes place here in Berlin. Yes. More of a fetish leaning party. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you find yourself um, 
getting booked for a lot of other fetish parties then in result or not so much? Uh, sometimes, yes. Not a lot. But there were points which I think, of course, it resonates. Yeah. But it's not that often at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Not that often. I feel like prior to the pandemic, that was kind of a, a trend or a yeah. gimmick for a minute. You yeah. know, like all of a sudden I'm playing, you know, a lot of the schedules, fetish parties or... Yeah quote-unquote gay parties and some of them were definitely very gay or very fetishy but a lot of them were was kind of bullshit you know yeah, what i mean and um, i think people kind of wore themselves a little thin on that i think the the the, the ones that they they were doing right they're still around basically for like sure conceptual it's like a huge party now it's, it's massive it's, now it's insane yeah. you know so they've been doing for 10 years which is crazy when i actually think about it i was being like almost six years of being a resident. I haven't been with them from the beginning, but I've seen the evolution from the past, like five years. It's, it's, you know, like they, they have parties all over the world and it's, it's impressive. And I'm also proud, you know, of them to doing such a good job, you know, and yeah, they're really on top of it. So. I think it's a good thing. It's, it's really a weird time for, well, for sexuality right now, because you always read articles that, well, first it was millennials, but I guess now Gen Z's growing up like, oh, they're, yeah. these people aren't having as much sex as other generations or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, you, there's like a certain prudeness that was going mm -hmm. around in mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And then you do see like on the counterculture side, you see a lot of, I don't know what you want to call it for you know, liberation or something, or mm -hmm. people that are just trying to fuck around and find out quite yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's cool. And I, I think that there's, it's nice to see a little pushback and, you know, it's important to... Even if it's not one of those kind of parties, I I actually don't have a problem with people mm -hmm. feeling more comfortable, like whether it's just even dudes taking their shirts off or, or women running around. And, uh, I guess these days we're noticing Berlin, it's more like trainer bras or sports bras yeah. and stuff, which is cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Because they feel comfortable and but not too like... I don't know. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a guy. I don't, I don't have the right words for that stuff. Yeah, but it, seems, <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like it's the right happy medium. So yeah. since you've moved here, uh, you've started a label or co-founded, let's say, yes. uh, Unterbags. Yes, with Deca. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how did that get started? I always wanted... That's a long one because I always wanted to have a record label. But of course, when I lived in Brazil, it was a distant dream, right? Yeah. How the hell could I make that happen whilst I was there? It was not possible. It was financially not viable for me. Like it was really difficult also. So it was something that I always had it archived. And I said, okay, the moment that, you know, I can have an opportunity, if it comes, then it will happen. And of course, by the time I moved to Europe, when I moved, the vinyl industry was just on a decline. No one, no one was playing records. Bringing a label at those times was, was like purely suicide as well, you yeah. know? So it was kind of like, okay, this is not going to happen now. Not at this time in place at that age, I, I couldn't do it. So when I moved to Berlin and I saw the things were going again and then people were still playing, rec the records kind of are coming back in the picture, you know, were no more laptop DJ sets, you know, things have switched because I've, I've seen all that and that was like insane. Like I cannot forget that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think by that point that I moved, I said, okay, this is the right moment. Also, because I want to release my own music. I want to be in charge of my, of my own things. You know, mm -hmm. I think that was the, to be honest, that was the main reason why, why I wanted a label. Also, of course I knew that I would get inspired by other people, but the main reason was I want to have my platform to release my music whenever I want without having to, you know, yeah, 
send know. it to anyone basically like just do my own thing that i worked for it and we have one release actually we just got, i think we got the lacquer done now actually this week we are really excited we have a va coming on the label we're gonna have another va and hopefully my own record is gonna follow after so yeah awesome. so it's uh we we are following like we, we we're back on it last year we had the head from Pano did the last record, which I was super pleased to have him on the label. Like he's one of the most inspiring guys for me that's around like musically. Absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned about trying to get your own music on the label, yeah. hopefully. So let's talk about that a little bit. You had your, would it be technically your debut solo on Mode Evolver? Uh, yeah, I had the record on my label before that, okay. that I did the split with Amanda. Okay. I didn't know which one was first. Yeah. So that was first one. The first okay. one I did it. Yeah. And then, and then on the, the that's Luke Slater's label yeah. for those who don't know. How did that connection come about? It's actually really funny. Like, cause Luke, he sent me a message on Twitter and I never, I'm really bad with social media. Right. So yeah. that's the, that's that. Okay. I'll tell you how it was. <laughs> he sent me this message. I've never seen the message for two weeks. Right. Can you imagine that? And then one day I got a message on Instagram. He's like, Hey, Kami, like uh, try to go in touch with you on Twitter, but let's try here. Like, is this a good channel? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was so confused. And I was like, and then I, I said, I'm so sorry. Like I said, look, let's just move on to email because this is really not good for me. And then I told him like, look, like, I'm really sorry. I've not ever seen your message. And then we just started to chat. And then he asked me first to do the remix for mm -hmm. him. And then I said, okay, let's work on that. And then he said to me, okay, maybe around four weeks. And then he came up with another idea and he said, actually, um, do you have some tracks? Would you like to send me? Because I would like to do the parallel series with you. And then I said, okay, that sounds really cool. It was like also just when the pandemic started. So I had free time, like was every time was a free time, right? Uh. And then I said, okay. He said, okay, I need these tracks in four weeks time. And this is it for me. You need to tell me. You need to tell me I need it. At this point in time, if you don't say that to me, you're never going to get anything out of me. Like, <laughs> you heard yeah, it here first. that's it. You're right. People like, there you go. Like you have to say, I want it now. Like the date, write it down that time, four weeks. If that does, is not, we need to get it going. Boom. That's it. Full stop. And that for me was like, okay, so I have to get it done. And then I ended up making the tracks to send him. And then I sent him, I actually sent him four tracks and then, he, and then he came back saying, actually, I want to do a whole record because I really like, I think those four tracks are perfect. I think they fit. And I was like, okay, like, um, let's do it then, you know? So it was like that. And he, he's super, he's an amazing person, like Luke and Heidi as well. Like, they're really great to talk with. Like, and yeah, they're just genuine people. So Awesome. That's yeah. cool how it worked out so, or yeah. or, uh, worked out so organically yeah. too, you know? Yeah, it's it's very, un, uh, not very natural these days, you know, like when things just happen like that and it's just nice, you know? Nice. And then I, I saw that aside from, aside from that and like the Amanda Musi thing, mm -hmm. your discography so far is primarily appearances. Um, is Is that based on the reason that you just are limited on time or you're not really focused on the solo last records year or? i really didn't do a lot of studio work like i have at the moment i my plan is to have two three records this year to follow up also what happened is when we came came out of the pandemic we had two years that we didn't do anything right 
So yeah. my point was like, okay, I have to work now. Now I have to make up for two years of no money, right? Yeah. My, so my, yeah. it was just, I think for me, it was kind of really hard to get into this insanely touring schedule out of nothing to everything. Yeah, you've been Be hitting it hard. Because that's how it was. It was like nothing and then everything like boom. And I was like, whoa, I'm just got brought, thrown into this hurricane and I just didn't know how to get out of it. Yeah. Are and you weathering that storm pretty well or how do you feel? I, right now I'm coming out of it finally. Like I feel like <laughs> I said to you, like I came here today and I was like, I'm really motivated. I'm focused since yesterday. I'm back in the studio. My plan is to be in the studio until next week, every day. And I just, I don't know. I think I just got kicked kick up the ass like after the last weekend, basically. I, sometimes it just, it just, it just happens like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like we were saying before the mics were rolling. It's yeah. Crazy times, and especially if you're on the road a lot. Yeah. And traveling isn't as easy as it used to be. Every, there's like Pretty always far. flight delays or like, yeah. you know, there's been train strikes like yeah. crazy here yeah. in Germany. And yeah. uh, it makes what should be a quick and easy day sometimes like a two-day thing where you're just ready to pull out every hair on your Absolutely. head. Absolutely. It's been insane. I've been caught up in all the strikes actually. Like uh, I have a, a damage with by... Uh, for, Deutsche Bahn has uh, yeah, has made a hole in my account already. Like oh, <laughs> all the flights, I had to buy with the train cancellations and things. It's not fun, actually. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I, they got they got me for some money too, but that's yeah. mainly because I was an idiot and missed no, my trains. No, but uh, so you said you've been back on the road a lot. Is there anywhere in particular right now that you feel most at home, like in the DJ booth or on stage, like city or country? place where i feel mostly at home like as a performer you go there and you're like you know like my crowd's here it's gonna be good like you're just confident like you I love think for me it's always a conceptual to be honest like yeah. when i'm there i know it's my crowd and i just feel like i'm in control i i mean i've been teaching there for five years so yeah you know I feel, it inside and out i feel confident and and it's true because also the the whole crew is there so we have each other's support and because it's such a nice community i feel so at home, I feel so confident to to be around them. Basically, yeah. I totally get it. Yeah, you know, there's places where, whether it's uh, places I'm at in the states, or like if I get to play Berghain in Berlin or something like that. Like, these are places where I've gone out and just been a party person. Yeah. I know what works and what doesn't because I've watched exactly. other people. I've played it myself, exactly. so it's like you can go in completely blind and. Yeah. Even in, on the worst day, like you're like, I can still do a pretty good job yeah. because I know exactly how this goes exactly. and what's missing and what isn't. And sometimes it's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. And there's nothing better than having an insane night where you're energized and inspired and you can sleep in your own bed. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the best. <laughs> like, just get a taxi and be home in 10 minutes. Like it's just, just like, yeah. Totally. I know. So, you know, with your record collection, is there a part of it that we'd be surprised to know about? Um, I mean, like, it depends. Like, I guess you mean, like, in the electronic music spectrum or beyond? Let's, yeah, let's, let's start there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really have any drum and bass records. If you, if you want to ask me, I, I okay. don't. I definitely don't have any of that, even though I, I like it. Yeah. It's just something that I don't collect. But I think I'm more techno house, like, more house Detroit, house let's let's say, yeah, 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 like Detroit uh, sound and electro EBM. So that's more the spectrum that I am, like really, yeah. Things that you can kind of throw in yeah, one or two here or there. Yeah, maybe I, I, I have a lot of things that I don't really play anymore. Like 
a lot of electro records that when I played a back-to-back with Tasha not long ago, and I think we did it last year as well, she brought me back to it because Tasha can go quite in a different range. She also yeah. plays drum and bass. So I like that motivation of like, hey, you, you know, you can just throw that stuff again, you know, it will work. So that really, yeah, it was really nice, you know, just to, to, to do a little bit different, like what people are expecting you to do, you know. Totally. It's, yeah. it's good to have curveballs for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you are, for those who don't know, you're like, are you 100% vinyl only or are you a little yes, bit? Yeah. I know. Explain that obsession. <laughs> I actually, I really, I really don't like bragging about it at all or, no, but, or I say uh, to anyone because yeah. I, I know that a lot of people like, I play vinyl and they're very loud about it and I get it. But that's just something that's not for me. And maybe that's because I've been playing records for so long that I don't feel there's any need because I think it's my own personal choice and I don't think I'm doing better than anyone just because I play records. It's just what I prefer doing and what I think I do best. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think anybody that actually (laughs) grew up in the era before digital, you're like, this is just fact of life. You got to tie your shoes. I know, know? exactly. Like uh, I still go out and buy records. Sometimes I'll share what I'm buying, but for the most part, I'm not like trying to I play vinyl, you know, and let the record show. I asked her about it. She mm-hmm. wasn't starting off with, I play vinyl, okay? <laughs> but um, so uh, is it just because that's how you started and you feel that's just yeah. how it's going to, you think that's how it'll end too? Or do you see yourself having to change? I don't, I, I actually, I have to say I tried a couple of years ago. Uh, shortly after I moved to Berlin, I think it was a year and a half, when I started to DJ with Ponceptor that we started to travel. Yeah. I said, okay, let's try. I'm not opposed to trying new things. So I had USB and I had I had a couple of gigs that I, I went and I actually played digitally, but I just didn't vibe with it. It just, it just, I, every time I tried, I was like, okay, it's just really not my, my vibe. It's you a know? totally different thing. Yeah. I just don't think I'm, I'm, I'm entertained by it. It just doesn't really drive me. And I feel like I'm not, doing my best I don't know it's it's, it's a weird thing because that, a couple of years ago I think it was two years ago I did this this like one off back to back with with new uh, Jaber like a Ponceptor and she doesn't play records okay and I think for me I say this to a lot of people I see like the back to back is like okay we really need to meet in the middle because it's not about you not about me it's about us right sure so we have to we have to adapt and and when she said that, I said, okay, she really doesn't play records at all. So I will play digitally with her. It's, it's okay. You know, it's, it's not something that I would do on my own, but for that scenario, it happened. And yeah. I, I remember, I think someone put a stories of it online and I reposted it. And I can't remember, I had a couple of messages after like, you were playing digitally or something. And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, it was a one-off, you know, and it was okay. And I had the fun because I was playing with someone else, you know, it was a different experience for me and it's just funny how people are just like wow you're playing digital like wow i'm gonna throw rocks at you <laughs> they, they, they felt really uh you let them down apparently yeah huh? i think i think they were just in shock and and you know like it's it's like i said to you i'm not opposed to trying things it's just not it doesn't resonate for me like at i all. get it but that day was it was fun so yeah you know i mean i i've i've been on uh, the CDJs for 11 years now. Mm. 
And at first, I just started with two because you want to make sure you can. Yeah. First of all, anybody that's listening, start on two before yeah. you move to three. I'm tired of watching people try to juggle three, and I'm like, just get two going first. It's pretty easy to get two going right away, though. And I didn't really enjoy the CDJs until I had three going at all times. I, I had three turntables, and okay. that's how I used to play back in the day. But as you know, three turntables yeah. is a lot harder. Yeah. And but yeah, so like when you when you're constantly going through records and stuff, it's you, you're always engaged. And with mm-hmm. CDJs, it, it can be a little bit harder to be constantly engaged. Yeah. And I think that's why everybody feels the need to have. Now, I'm, I'm, as I do riders as a promoter, every mm-hmm. DJ's got four CDJs in mm-hmm. their thing, and they never. They, I get it. They want to like cue shit up or yeah. whatever, but they don't have all four going. Mm-hmm. Then they got effects pedals and all this shit. And mm-hmm. I mean, I do too, but it's uh, it's evident that that is a byproduct of playing digitally, whereas yeah. with vinyl people, they don't really care about a lot of those no. extra things. So, Yeah. But so when you travel with it, mm-hmm. do you do the move where you bring it in as your carry-on or do you actually check the records? I or? do. I do check them. Like, And I... I, I and how I'm is it like, going with that these days? It's all right. I mean, I had an episode. Was it like last year? Was it the year before? It was 2022, actually. Yeah, because I, I forget that we're in 2024 already. Oh, <laughs> uh, <time>. Yeah. <laughs> So I had this episode where I went to play a gig in France. It was in Bordeaux, which was not in the main capital. And I had this connection from Berlin to Frankfurt. And uh, when we were already inside the plane, we were on the tarmac. They said, okay, we have like one hour delay. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to miss my connection. Plus, I'm not only going to miss my connection, but my records are going to be fucked. So I was already panicking, but when we got to Frankfurt, I ran like a motherfucker like to the gate. And that's when I actually fractured my toe. So I ran like a motherfucker to the gate. <laughs> Fucking ran. I made it inside the plane, but my records didn't arrive. So when I got there, I was like, okay, I'm screwed now because I don't really have a USB, you know. Mm-hmm. So how is that going to work? And then the promoter was like calling people. And, you know, I'm not in the capital, which if I maybe if I was in Paris, would be much easier to reach a DJ that has a record bag that would, you know. Just could, go through. Yeah, yeah, that I could go through. And then after maybe like two hours, they managed to get a bag. But then I looked at the stuff and I was like, okay, this is just shit. Just is, yeah. It was just <laughs> like, okay, I can't, there's no way I can play that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can push like, you know, of playing things that I don't know, but this, I know that it's not going to work. And then after maybe an hour and a half, they're like, oh, but there's this guy that if we get the key of his place, he's not here, but he has the records that will work for you and then they managed to get the fucking I don't know how they did it so after like four hours they came up with the record bag and we were like whoa and I said okay let's do it and then when I went through I was like okay there's quite a few here that I know maybe like about 10 mm-hmm. I was like okay this is enough already for me to be confident and the rest I'm just gonna play I'm gonna play like you know like blind and to be to be honest I actually think, I never say that, but I think that day I played really good. That's awesome. You know, all things considered. Sometimes it's like the... Adrenaline. Yeah, the adrenaline is really what you need to get it going. Because I had no idea what I was doing. And I think that somehow excited me and like, okay, I really need to be in the zone for it. And it worked out really well, which was crazy. I I didn't expect that because I was, of course, stressed. But yeah, it, uh, it turned out great in the end. Thankfully, I got my bag in the end as well. I fractured my toe, but I was still still alright. You had right. to suffer for your heart sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I still am checking in my bag most of the time because normally I'm like taking about 20 
kilos or something, right? So if, yeah. if I get caught up, then they're just going to say, you can't have them on the plane. And I had that a few times with Lufthansa. It's always with Lufthansa, like, it just, like, it just doesn't work. They look at, they know what is that record bag, and they just say, okay, you have to put it on, you have to, like, like yeah, check it in. Uh, so I don't even do it anymore. Sometimes when it's, like, maybe, like, an hour and a half set, I can take it on the plane with me. But that's very rare when I play hour and a half set these days, right? So Totally. Yeah. So that being said, you know, when you do get records, outside mm -hmm. of potentially getting test presses from people or something, because mm -hmm. nobody does dub plates anymore, record buyers are usually, unfortunately, the last people to get music. Yeah. How does that feel as, like, a touring DJ? Is that do you, do you not really give a shit, or do you feel that pain where you're like, I need stuff sooner? Or? I feel like sometimes I feel like... I need stuff sooner, but I think I kind of just gelled with it because I only go to the same record shops. And I think in a way, the limitation makes me work in a different way because I have to work with what I have. So, yeah. you know, I, I think when I am lost, because every time when I had the USBs, I was just like in this like never ending like options that it just, I could never focus. And I think that was the same when I started to produce like in the box, I was mm -hmm. just insanely confused. And I just, probably why I never really followed it up because it never really resonated with me. It was always like, okay, I just need to have limitation. And I think that's what works for me. In I get it. Way. Yeah. I mean, there's times, you know, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times mm. where I just felt like I was scrolling yeah. through these fucking playlists on oh the CDJs, God, yeah. like what next? Yeah. And that's, I mean, everything on my stick is fire. Now I'm just talking shit, but like, uh, you just don't know what to play, but when you got limited selection, you kind of know what's up. And, you know, you talk about, we were talking about 20 years ago in yeah. Brazil or whatever, those people are traveling around, they would tour with those, that same record bag yeah. for three, four months, exactly. changing things out. So you really know yeah. your records and yeah. you like know how to play them well. Mm -hmm. Whereas these days, people want something, they want 30 new tracks each week. So they don't really know how to play them well. They're just yeah. playing them because they're new. Which I've also been, um, you know, not throwing shade. I've done the same thing. Of course, we, we, we all do that, you know. So. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Like when it comes down to it, you know, you have to kind of focus on a selection. And I, I really kind of, when I hear DJs sometimes like in like the room two scenario or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're just kind of vibing out, playing cool tracks, whether mm -hmm. it's records or MP3s. Yeah. And I'm like... They don't really give a shit if it's new or old or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's how I play house music. But when it comes to techno, I feel compelled to put on the show because they're booking you, you're flying yeah, around the world for it. Of course. But I'm like, I should just go back to just playing dope fucking tracks and not really worry about the rest of absolutely, it. Absolutely. You know? Like, absolutely. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it just, I find limitation very interesting because it's just it makes you work in a different way. And, 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 you know, like this infinity of options is just, just makes us like lost. I think really a lot of the time. And absolutely, it's like you said, like, it's like you're playing new things, but you're not even, you're not even listening because then next week you're playing a new track that you, and then this one, it's, it's already gone. It's disposable, you know? Very. Yeah. And you know, that's like a big topic as well. Like, you know, we know that. So, yeah. yeah. It's a very sad one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're having a pretty optimistic, some of these podcasts we get a little dark, but this one's been fairly optimistic. So we'll keep it that keep way. Keep it like that. <laughs> but something mm. that's sort of a downer is, mm. uh, well, turntables and clubs. I feel like it's oh. a very weird relationship 
you know, it's a very, it's like a, a passionate couple. Sometimes it's the, there's a lot of cohesion and synergy and other times it's like they're in separate rooms and they're yeah. fighting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. it, I think it really depends, you know, like you were saying around 2008 or nine, when you moved over to, was it yeah. Bristol or something at that point, it felt like turntables, they were sitting in a dusty closet Absolutely. somewhere, you know, you get a pair for really cheap and now you see yeah. how much they're going for. I'd be like, what? And then <laughs> people started to take records seriously more seriously again around i don't know what 2012 that yeah, train, something like that around that time and for a while actually it seemed like turntables were actually decent in clubs for mm -hmm, a while mm -hmm. you know like in at that point like zach devious one he was still yeah. like very religious about vinyl we'd be yeah. always going out for ramen and shit and be like how, how are the turntables for you lady actually they're pretty good mm -hmm. you know they're they're actually cleaned up and uh, everything's working whereas like mm -hmm. maybe a year before that wasn't the case and then at some point, I don't know, 2015, 16 or whatever, I feel like that started to disappear again. I know. How, how do you feel about it now? I stopped bringing records out outside of Berlin, so I have no it's, idea. It's, it's like a, it's like a, a, a cycle, right? It goes yeah. up and down. And I think we are kind of heading towards that point. But at the same time, okay, let's talk about the clubs first. Throughout the whole year, I'm going to do like a general analysis I okay. would say throughout the whole year, I would say I'll give it, I'll give it an eight, which is a really good score That's out of ten. pretty good right now, yeah. Really, really good. But I have to say a couple of things, though. I always sound check one. Okay, okay that That doesn't guarantee that's going to work mm -hmm. because it's always a risk, right? Yeah. Uh, second, I used to have CDJs on my rider and I completely took them down because that used to make people confused. And the fact that, oh, maybe if the turntable doesn't work, she's going to play CDJs. No, there is no other way. This is the only way. Like, so if I'm going to play for you, then you need to have your shit ready. And, mm -hmm. you know, because then you'll be that problem, you know, and that, that won't be mine because I won't be able to perform. Okay, it's, I feel terrible. And of course, the crowd don't know what's going on. But at the end of the day, I feel like, I came here to do my best, but if you're not giving me what I need, then it's difficult, right? Big time. So I think, like I said, out of throughout the whole year, I had very good experiences. I had bad experiences. I had experiences in 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 places where you think things should work and when they they wouldn't. I had experience in places where you think it wouldn't work and it was amazing. Like especially, I have to say, small collectives. They are really committed. Oh yeah, for sure. They're really, really committed, and I've been seeing that. Because they give a shit. It's crazy. Like they really put the effort, and they're really committed to the whole idea. And it's like this is passion, you know, and this is what I want to see more. And it's hard these days, you know, because they also need to survive. So it's like, it's it's yeah, it's it's difficult. But I'm not gonna be completely pessimistic about it. I'm gonna try to continue doing it uh there's still other people doing it like i know helena half is still playing records hector rokes i think he's still committed unless you're still committed you know and there's this whole new like generation that they're very committed to records i see them playing a lot at the moment which also helps you know because mm -hmm. you know there needs to be more people doing it otherwise how are people going to know how to set up turntables right because the problem is i went to i think i went to tour in south america like two, three times. And I always thought it was very hard because they don't really get this experience there to yeah. set up 
uh, turntables. And I think one of the parties I played, uh, apparently I was the first DJ that they set up the sound system. So they had a whole function one and everything. It was the first time that the technician, she, she was setting up records. So it was, it was really difficult. Wow. Like, yeah. Like I remember I had a friend that was also playing, uh, after me and he was like, how the fuck did you do that? And I said, well, I think I just play on instincts these days because if I'm going to rely on, on setups, I'm not going to be able to make it, you know? Yeah. I'm, and well, plus you're a pro. No. <laughs> you know, the, well, but I mean, here's the thing. It's like, there's, I, I think every promoter should really aspire to provide the best writer that they can. Like if someone says, no. I need 17 turntables, you get 17 yeah. turntables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then, uh, you know, I have friends who, they're friends, but mm -hmm. they show up and they're fucking babies. Like the mixer, one thing doesn't work or it's not the right yeah. mixer. And like, I get it. That sucks. Yeah. I hate that too. But it's like, all right, you're here. Yeah. There's 450 people in front of you. Exactly. Are you going to like be a bitch on stage and pout and like obviously bump people out? Or are you just mm -hmm. going to be like, you know what? I've been doing this for 15 years. Exactly. I'm going to make this work. Yeah. I'll bitch at the promoter afterwards or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. like... Do your job. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I, 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 share, I share the same feeling with you, you know. Yeah. I mean, trust me. I've, I've had my nights yeah. where I was furious, but I'm like, course, listen, I, I'm, I'm on stage. I'm yeah. going to be professional about this. Yeah, so. we have to. But, you know, as someone who buys vinyl, mm -hmm. uh, obviously you feel the effects of the rising costs more than most. Um, when it comes to things like, you know, production of the record how heavy it is the the artwork the packaging is that stuff important to you or not so much yes and no depending on the situation i think for example for the vas we are dropping out the the full sleeve yeah we decided to not do it like 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 you said the costs have like also like gone up and it's just really crazy at the moment so i thought okay let's try to work around it and still deliver, you know, because at the yeah. end of the day, we want to get the music out on, on vinyl, right? So it was a bit of a, you know, like we, we had like me and Jack, we did have a chat about it and we decided in the end to to try and we're going to see how it works. And I think from there, we'll make a decision if we're going to go back to to just having like full sleeves with the artwork. Because I really, I really love it. No. I, I really, I really, yeah, I, I, I would look... I wanted to make like a gate folded, like a double, like, but mm -hmm. that's like, okay, that's going to be really unrealistic, you know? So it could, was not possible to, yeah, ex execute yeah. the the dream, you know, but who knows? Like, it's a lot of fun to do from the artistic perspective, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. also financially it's a lot. And yeah. sometimes, and it, it is something special for the people that are actually spending yeah. a little bit more to buy a record. But then some of these people, they clearly don't give a shit because they just beat up their records yeah, anyway. When yeah. I was younger, I was just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but these days, I mean, if I'm going to, especially if I got to spend 16 bucks on like a European record, I, I like art. You know what I mean? Like I kind of wish a record comes out that it's something that I would want to put on my shelf of over course, there. You know like, what I mean? It's physical. Like uh, it, 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 mean, it has some value to it, right? You're just going to have it there. So yeah. Any yeah. advice for like a producer or a label that's considering vinyl production? Oh, then, okay. If you're really considering that, then you have to one, be prepared to invest, be prepared to not get, financial return of it like immediately like if ever uh, if ever <laughs> if yeah. ever i have to be really like just really honest 
and be sure you're doing it for the right reasons because if you really love it then it will pay off uh, in, in another way you know i think that's probably the best thing i can say yeah totally yeah so um What's getting you going in the world of techno right now, musically? Any particular names or labels or stylistic movements? See, I mean, of course, there are a lot of, like, uh, younger producers that are doing really well. Like, I think Deca Jack is doing amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. his tracks are really spot on. I really love the music that he's putting out. Casual Treatment as well. Yep. He's amazing. I really love the the stuff that he's coming out with at the moment. We've been working on some stuff together, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, that's really... Uh, Melvin yeah. is great. He's he's really, really good. I really like Norback and all, like, mm-hmm. the guys, like, Temudo, like, they've been, like... They, I, I, I just... I just... I, I love how Temudo works, and I am... I always say this to me. It's just amazing because I could never work the way that he does, so I appreciate it so much i have so much respect for the music that he 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 makes you know totally um his new album's really cool too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but I, I i like for example like head from pano is always someone that i i don't know like could you say that he's someone that like it's because he's not also old school but he's not also new school but he's in between kind yeah. of like sort of in between those two kind of worlds i just but definitely underrated Un- underrated cool that's shit. yeah that's, that's and he, he's got some house shit as well right yeah, under his real name and that's yeah. always John really Hackle. fun yeah, yeah i like that he's a lot just amazing i just i just love the way he works and just just the process that he makes to make music is just like it sounds so raw and it sounds so so organic and it i really i'm really fascinated by it like i just i just love it i think he's an amazing amazing artist like and he still doesn't have an instagram page which i think it's mental but i i <laughs> fully respect that so much so <laughs> i mean yeah. I, I don't i don't know if he's touring much or, or no, cares to but if, if you yeah. don't care about that thing then what's the point yeah right? i know i get it i get it exactly but yeah these guys are, are doing are doing really yeah they're doing also there is a guy that i am i love his music i never know how to pronounce his name mm-hmm. if it's C doves or S E D V S C doves? I don't know. I just say Sedvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm always Uh, never. I like his stuff too. Yeah, yeah. He's really, really good. I haven't. He hasn't really made a lot of stuff at the moment, but he's gonna be one of the VAs that I have, which I'm really proud to have him. Awesome. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Like I'm big, big fan. Like cool. And what about outside of techno? Ooh, like, um, like, I don't know. I mean, you, I'm going to speak more about like rock, classic, uh, hip hop. What, what gets you more going? about timeless stuff? I think like, yeah. uh, I mean, I'm like obsessed by Brian Ferry, like crazy. Okay. Like I've seen Brian Ferry when I was 14, I think. Um, I just love like boys and girls. That album is just insane, you know? And like every time I hear them, I'm like, okay, Nile Rogers is part of it. David Gilmer is part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, what else, you know? Like, when do you get stuff like that these days, you know? like You don't. I don't think don't. it's coming back. I know. Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of this band that I don't think maybe a lot of people know Prefab Sprout. It's okay. really... It's an indie band from the 80s. It's it's actually, are they from Newcastle? I don't know where they are in England. Is it Newcastle yet? Or Durham? I'm not sure. I'm completely obsessed with Prefab Sprout. It's. I think it's every indie band's dream is to sound like them. Basically, yeah. every time I hear Steve McQueen is the name of the album that I'm crazy about. 
And the lead singer, Paddy Backlund, I think he's one of the greatest songwriters of, of all our eras. Like, he's just... Damn. Amazing. Yeah. Pretty high marks from you there. Yeah, I, I really saw it now. Huh? Like, <laughs> I, the pitch was good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, more classic stuff, like Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machi Machine, PJ Harvey, and... Mm -hmm. She's coming to Berlin. Yeah, so. I know. I saw it. I'm, I'm wondering, is it sold out already? I hope not, like, because I need to get the know. tickets. It's I in think August. it's at Zitadel, so that's standing room outside anyway. Yeah. So if you just get a ticket, you'll be fine. Yeah, I saw you on the underground. I was like, fuck, I need to be on it and not forget about it. Absolutely. Like, I, I saw yeah. her in 98, maybe. Oh my God, whenever, amazing. like, she opened for U2 on the pop uh -huh. tour. Uh, my mom wanted to go <laughs> to see U2, and I was like, yeah, if yeah. you're buying, I'll go. And PJ Harvey was opening for U2, wow. so I saw them both on that show. It was cool, amazing. actually. Yeah. A lot of fun. Nice. But yeah, I'll probably try to go if I'm around for that. Yeah, me too, though. That's the plan. I need to check the dates. But uh, let me see what else. David Bowie, like of just course. pretty classic stuff. Brian Eno, I'm still, I think I'm too much of an 80s girl. Like really, I'm always listening back to that stuff, like Duran Duran and like, I just mm. love it. 70s as well, like really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know, like I think, I think it's just, about getting older, like I, I'm always still very eager to check out new music, but mm -hmm. especially when we got locked in during the pandemic, I was listening to everything all day and went back to so many old albums. Yeah. And uh, the thing about it now is when you have these, the, the big major labels, mm -hmm. they don't really take swings on daring shit anymore. They just want to focus on like a Taylor Swift or yeah. a Drake or whatever. And I get it. It's hard to complain. Um, but so they don't really have the the initiative or the budget to like sink into bands that are like pretty good. Yeah. But because a lot of those, even the ones that we talked about, those yeah. albums, they turn in the demos and they're kind of shitty. And they're yeah. like, Brian Ferrer, we're going to make you a star, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Like, if they, you know, there's a lot that goes into making those albums pop. Absolutely. And um, I just don't see those kind of albums happening again anytime no. soon because people don't have the money to invest into making that mm -hmm. happen and also like the the kind of technical know-how is going away. Well, that's no, not true. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of people that know how to do shit technically, but they don't understand the feeling. Like yeah. everybody's a producer these days, but they're yeah. not actually a musician, stuff like that, yeah. you know. Exactly. That's what about, uh you want to talk about the studio for a minute? Yeah, yeah. Of okay, course. So sounds fun. Uh you were into SAE for mm -hmm. 6 months ish or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when I was listening to you talk about it, I mm -hmm. remember in that timeline, it seems kind of weird because it was after things started to go digital, but it still was this weird sort of analog digital crossover thing. And the technology was weird, just barely got on USB 2 and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, did you really carry any of that knowledge over or not particularly? I mean, when I was at SAE, I was mostly like... I think I had a few sessions where I was like mixing like on analog consoles, but not really. Mm -hmm. It was mostly like learning thinking, things inside Ableton. And that's when I knew, I said, okay, this is cool, but can I actually really get on with that? I was, I was still on that point that I was not sure. And this is why I thought I need to dig deeper because I don't really think this is my flow, you know? And I, yeah. it took me a while to understand that. It took me years actually to really get down to what I think it works for me because especially at the time everybody 
everybody they were making music with the computer. It was always like Ableton, how to make the best sounds with everything. Like there was very digitally. And I was kind of like, not really, that idea for me was, okay, I appreciate that this is what people do, but I wasn't sure this was a thing for me. I was yeah. still doubting a lot. And I think it took me, I don't know, maybe like five years to really, okay, I really, now I, I know what I want to do, you know? And that's when I got more in touch with like, just like hardware and like finding out my flow, like how do I want to get my things to sound and how do I identify with just like, you know, having my hands on things. Like, cause I mm -hmm. think this is something that I carried from playing records as well. I, I don't know, like maybe I can relate the two things and just the physical aspect of having something there and just, you know, like moving parameters and like just, yeah, I don't know, making things happen, you know, in real time. Basically. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that that's, it was, I've said it on this show before and I'll say it again in the future. Like, you know, the analog versus digital thing, it's kind of a dumb, boring debate at this mm. point. But, you know, there is something about having hands-on control. It's a little bit more expressive, of mm -hmm. course, whether it's a MIDI controller yeah. or a synthesizer, doesn't really matter. So I, I fully get it and understand. Um, I know. Did you you have a what a, a Toft console? No, yeah, or I do have. Like I, I actually I do have a Toft, the ATB. I actually bought a new one. Okay. I finally bought a new one because I have the A channel one, which for a long time it worked for me. Because, mm -hmm. like I said, I think somehow the limitation like made it work me work in different ways. But right now, my time has been limited. Like last year, I haven't been in the studio. So every time I was there, I was there every like, oh, I haven't been here for two months. So what the fuck? Are, oh, uh, I have to plug this in. Oh, but that's not coming through. Where's the signal? Oh, fuck. Oh, what is it? I don't remember stuff anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of getting really stressed about it because I wasn't there every day. My brain was not on it anymore. And I said, okay, I, well, how can I work around this? And how can I basically... I have limited time, so how can I make the best out of my time? And then basically I decided that I needed a bigger desk so I can have everything plugged in so I don't have to plug unplug everything all the time anymore and I'm just going to press record because this is, for me now, it was like a deal breaker. I just want to press it and done, you know? I get it. The yeah. technical, yeah, that stuff's a nightmare. Yeah. Even like for me, like with uh, getting things to sync up with MIDI and whatnot half the time. So these days I... I don't even really use MIDI much. I just hit record on the shit yeah, and then I'll just good. move it over on the DAW. And I don't care if I'm it's doing. slightly off when I'm recording because I'm like, I know I'll fix it later. I, I always you know? question myself, why am I doing this? Why why can't I just not do it the easy way? Like, Because it's always like, oh my God, I've spent time like troubleshooting. And then when I see, I've wasted like 45 minutes with something stupid, you know, like, oh, fuck, I forgot to, oh, I patched on the wrong, like, like yeah. you know, like patch bay or whatever. Like, you're just like, oh, where is it? Like, oh. It's silly, you know, so I just want to have everything just there. Press totally. record, yeah, and just make the best of my time. I think that will help a we, lot. Um, we obviously spend quite a bit of time on the podcast talking yeah. about how you really enjoy DJing. How yeah. does it rank compared to the studio for you? Like, is it, do you need both in your life or do you prefer one over the other? I think I've, because I have a background I started DJing, so I think that always is going to be the thing that really resonates with me more than production. But I, I, the thing with production is I really, I love going to the studio and turn everything on. Mm -hmm. Jamming. I love it. Oh, yeah. Let's turn into a track. Fuck that. Yeah. That's for me, that's when it's just like, it's like 
as soon as you say, I need to turn into this track, that's when it's like, oh no, my God, it's a panic mode, you know? So Absolutely. it's this transition between finding the moment and it has to be quick because once you are like doing it, if you don't develop quick, at least the idea needs to just be down, you know? Yeah. Then it's like a lost case if I don't do it quickly, yeah. That's I think for you, uh, is it the same? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. You know, the thing is, is sometimes I really get into a loop and I mm -hmm. just want to keep listening to it, especially like if I'm in the studio and I smoke a joint or something. Yeah. Like, I, But I'll listen to that loop for an hour and yeah. then like it's never going to go past that because I already lost the creativity because yeah, 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 yeah. I got sucked into you it. So sucked into it. I got to keep it moving now. Yeah. Otherwise, it, plus I just don't have as much free time anymore. So yeah. I got to make every minute in the studio yeah. count. Absolutely. But I'm the same way, you know, like I really think that if you don't do the uh, recording, everything like you said, and, and do the editing real quickly, it's yeah. just, it's a lost cause. It's a lost cause, exactly. It's just, it just goes away because it's just, it's just so much fun to just jam, right? You just sit there, you're like, oh yeah, okay, let's add this. Oh, this is so much fun. Yeah, okay, EQ, like compress it. Like, okay, like it's just fun. But then something else needs to happen, right? Yeah. And yeah, that's the hard part, I think, for me. You know? Do you do you go in with a concept or an idea or do you kind of spin the wheel? I just go in and I just play along with it. I, I'm not that kind of person that I go there, oh, I have to make a track with this sound. No, I'm just kind of like, let's flow with it. Like, let's just jam and what comes out of it. If there's something that I like out of it, then I'll make it into a track, basically. Okay. Yeah. And um, so you said you do have some outboard gear and stuff now. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to share with people? I mean, I have like a couple of like or things that you really love or something processing like gear like that I really love. Like it took me years also to get them that stuff. You know, it was not like a day to night event. We we yeah. know how it goes. You know, the so, processing stuff is the most expensive part. Yeah, you got to save up for that shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess it depends, like right? Because for me, I've always I think because I was a university, somehow it unlocked this thing on me that I wish it never had unlocked. I wish I could just be happy with not having my API EQ, like, right? Because sometimes it's just sitting there and I'm like, I'm not even using it. So I fucking, I need to use that, you know? Yeah. It's just how it goes sometimes. But because I was a university, I got in touch with all that stuff. And, you know, I just like the way things sound. And I was, I, I was working on an API console as well at uni, like 1608, which is my dream Damn, console ever. Yeah. Maybe in another life I'll have one. Like, I think this one is <laughs> a very far away dream. Yeah. I know Kenny Larkin has one. Like He's got the in the box. Is that the same thing? He's the, got the API 1608. I yeah. think that, I can't remember what, was it, what video is or is it like some electronic beats feature, feature or yeah. something that I was like, damn, he's got it. Like he, He's always... Uh, Got He's got it, right? yeah. I mean, I like, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm poor, so I have all the, well, even UAD stuff is expensive, but I use like all the API shit yeah. on there and that's kind of where I'm at right yeah. now. I've tried it all, Neve, SSL, that's and uh, it's got that punch. Yeah. Um. So that being said, like, you know, you're into the processing and mm -hmm. whatnot. Is there anything where you kind of realize that for example, some people are super into modular. Did you ever step foot into that water and be like, oh man, this isn't for me? Or... I have like a small modular setup, but okay. I never, I don't know about you, but for me, I never really felt the need to just turn into this, I don't know, like, like an endless thing. I think again, because of the limitation, I have this kind of like, no, I just can't go forward with it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's just something that doesn't really... 
appeal that much. I like the modules, but I, I've never felt the urge to follow through a huge modular rack or like a wall of modular, yeah. you know. I'm more kind of like, I like synths. I really, I really enjoy synthesizers, so yeah. Yeah, I get it. I mean, like I'm, I'm the same way. I had a modular for mm. about a month or something like that, mm-hmm. and then I realized that this was a slippery slope for me. Yeah, but um, I don't know. The thing about modulars in particular, well, any sense, but especially modulars, I love mm-hmm. it when it sounds good or when mm-hmm. it's done right. Yeah, but like you're always seeing the tip of the iceberg, especially with stuff that's released. People are like, oh, I'm going to bring my module over and yeah. we'll jam. I'll be like, cool. Yeah. They'll come over and they'll spend 20 minutes patching it and then they'll run the sequencer and do whatever. And I'm just sitting here listening. I'm like, okay, this sounds yeah. like shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> there's nothing it's, here that we need to use. And it's just kind of like a sonic assault on my eardrums. Like, no, no, we're going to get there. Just let me do this. And I'm, It takes time. Like, um, I'd rather them just like do that at home, bring the samples over and be like, let's nerd of out. Course. And <laughs> Because it's kind of like, you know, you, when you think of the modular, it's like, it's just a synthesizing pass, you know? Yeah. So, till you do that and then you go for one, for another, I guess it takes time to warm up or whatever, like, and just get yeah. somewhere, you know? So, it's not that easy. But, you know, the nice thing about it, though, is like, you do learn the actual process. A yeah. lot of people just kind of manipulate presets, myself included. I mean, I can, I generate shit from the ground up, but it, I get lazy. Um but it's funny because when modular people do mm-hmm. come over, sometimes they'll show me how to use my actual synthesizers better yeah. than I do. I'm like, wow, wow. I've been wondering what that sound for two years. How'd you get that? Mm-hmm. You just do this, this, and that. I'm like, I need to learn more, which I, I have made yeah. an effort. But, you know, you really just got to sit down and learn yeah. shit. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> That's all there is to it. It'll yeah. make life so much easier. Absolutely, yeah. I wish I, 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 I've been doing that as well. Just read the fucking manual or whatever, like just yeah figure out the stuff but yeah sometimes we just don't we're just like okay let's just try this like before you read the manual like totally yeah uh when it comes to production do you mm-hmm. do you ever get hit up by like aspiring female producers or anything like that like you mean like the, there's other female producers that are really like good like well no I, you well, of course yeah. but i mean like you know because i've i've I said it in another episode with mm-hmm. uh Chloe and Irene, mm-hmm. um, basically, I feel like there isn't, there's a lot of female DJs that have risen up now, mm-hmm. not as many producers. I'm not saying there aren't any, but like, there's not enough. Um, do you get females reaching out to you saying like, uh, a, either I'm inspired or like, uh, I'm also doing the shit. Like, do you feel like there's a, a movement of, of women coming up or do you not really see that happening? No, it, it's very unusual for me to to get any messages, which is a bit sad, to be honest. Yeah. I would like this to be like a common thing. I did have not long ago that I went to play this gig and like one of the DJs, she had a chat with me about it, but she actually seemed pretty confident about her production, but not of her DJing. She, she was not confident about playing records. Okay. That was an issue. Hmm. And she said, I couldn't play the gig tonight because I was so scared. And, okay. you know, which was something like for me, I was impressed how she was so confident about her production. She said, I just finished my album, which I was like, well, okay, this is really amazing, you know. But no, I don't really get uh, that. Unfortunately, what you said no. is something that doesn't really come that often. Like, and it's hard to, to, to find because I don't think there is a communication like through ourselves you know on it like there's yeah I, I don't think there's a lot of communication i just see people doing their stuff more like on their own you know so totally yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, there's definitely, like I said, there is a rising number, but mm-hmm. I'd like to see more. And I Absolutely. don't know, like, I can see where it's tough because especially in the studio world, it's it's definitely patriarchal. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, n- yeah, of course, not, not all men. Some guys are fucking bitching on the other side yeah. of the, the earbuds <laughs> right now. And that's not what I'm saying. It's just, I think, you know, for example... I mean, do you get mansplained a lot about studio stuff or not too much? Or No, not really. I generally, I don't really talk a lot about it online just so I don't start getting that kind of stuff. So I'm just yeah, you're gonna get taking no my ass off the line, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I don't, I don't really, I, I get sometimes people just asking me stuff like they're like, Oh, I, how did you make that kick sound or whatever? Blah blah. Mm-hmm. That that happens. Like that. That's more what the kind of thing that I would hear. Yeah. Yeah, like, for sure. Which is what you would like to hear. Which is better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's just it's interesting, and it it was brought to my attention somewhat recently. You know, mm-hmm. it's like because the thing is, a lot of guys they just when you go if I go over to a friend's studio tonight, we're gonna. Mm-hmm. It, you always get unwanted advice, whether you want it or not. Be like, oh, you really should have did this with your kick yeah. or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like the way of bullshitting in the studio yeah. or, you know, or like sharing tales or whatever. And I think, you know, um, and sometimes it totally is straight up mansplaining. Yeah. Other times I think women get the impression that it is when they don't realize that it's just guys shooting the shit. But that is also because that it's inherently like guys imposing themselves Absolutely. on each other and whatnot. Like- I think they maybe they just find it like it's just hard for them to get into it, you know, with in this perspective. Then you have the other thing. I've also had, um, you know, male colleagues, they're like, not that it really is a topic or they're that scared, but I've heard of sometimes where they're just like a little bit more reluctant to discuss with them because they don't want to get um, accused of mansplaining or something, you know, and it's like almost gone too far the other way. Yeah, yeah. And these days when I ended up speaking with female uh, producers or let's say female identifying Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. fair, um, you know, once we get on the topic, I'll just like, I catch myself, I'm like, wait, do you actually want to hear about this? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and then if they say yes, then I feel like it's fair game. And if they're like, "Mm, well, I, I know or not yeah. really, then you know, like, okay, I'm uh, getting a little male yeah. on this shit, you know <laughs> what I mean? But I don't know. I, I I just find that stuff kind of interesting to see where it's Absolutely. at and if it's impress- or improving. I think so. Yeah. Think about 20 years ago. It has definitely improved, oh, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> when I you mean, go back on the timeline, then you can really see. Big you know? time, yeah. Really. All right, well, I guess I've kind of run out of questions, <laughs> which is a good thing. But we got through a lot of stuff yeah. today. It was really good to have you on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. It was really fun to chat. Like, yeah. really nice. Therapeutic, really, right? Yeah, I feel like I said to you, this is going to be a therapeutic session, I think. Like, yeah. really, yeah. You know, it's like I, I was reluctant for a long time to get this podcast going again because I don't go out as much these days and uh, whatnot. And I just, you know, we both share sentiments about how fucked up the industry is yeah. and you just kind of check out. I purposely do not get engaged with stuff. But it is nice to, uh, it has been nice to talk to people lately and and get on the topic of things with with people and uh, see where the heads are at. It's been very revealing too because sometimes you feel vindicated that you're not crazy or gaslit and other times you feel like uh, maybe more optimistic. You're like, oh, wait a minute, I didn't see it that way or whatever. You know what I mean? Of course. It's always inspiring just to talk to people like, uh, you know, like like like-minded people for me always like, you know, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to the shooter. This was so nice, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Is there anything coming out this spring that people should look out for? Uh, I do have something coming out next month. Oh, this month. No, tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is February, so it should be out next month. So I have this remix uh, for Orlando Vorn, which was under like... Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, frequency, yeah, right? Frequency, yeah. Uh, it's going to come out on repetitive rhythm research label which Excellent is like label. really really I, i've been such a fan for 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 so long so when uh, serge asked me i was like wow amazing like i was super happy so sub label from clone i'm really excited uh about this remix it sounds quite classic techno like um you know just like listen to it and yeah i'm happy about it and i think this is the only thing that's coming out at the moment, but I am in the studio working my ass at the minute. So yeah, hopefully <laughs> you hear more from me. I have quite a few tracks going at the moment, which I'm happy. So I just want to get them out of my way before I listen for them for too long. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. at least get to try those out on USB sticks when you play? Or are you just like, we're going to wait till they no, arrive on test press? I've, I, well, what I was doing like a, a year or two ago is I was doing dub plates. Okay. And I'm considering doing again, but I don't know how are the prices at the moment. So I might get a bit shocked. So let's see. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just yeah. tax write off, right? Yeah, yeah of course. It's, <laughs> it has to get done, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks okay, again. Good thank to see you. you and uh, talk to you soon. Yes. Bye. Bye.